March 14, 2015, and it's a lot from Pedro's show.
Scott for Pedro Show. It's looking like it's going to be a warm Saturday here because Santa Ana's are blown. Just got done paddling kayak with Donzo in the harbor the Angel Gate here. I ain't at the Love Grotto with Brother Matt. I'm in my own pad. But via the wonders of Scott, I am hooked up with the other side of the country. Actually, Caddy Corner, northeast grand state of Maine. Southern California connected. We got Cap Neal aboard. Cap Neal, thank you so much for being part of the Watt for Pedro show. Uh, I got to, uh, along with the Fratelli, back in October, got to be taken on a three hour cruise. Well, more, more than three hours, huh? Yeah, I think we did like maybe close to four, but then you had to get the sound check, so that was that. Yeah, because actually we had to move over two states. To yeah. Massachusetts and go play in uh, uh, you were playing in Alston that night at the Great Scott yeah I was going to say not Boston but because if you live there it's probably a big difference between Alston and Boston and Cambridge and all that stuff so we were in yeah. Alston and we had to get now even though it was two states away it wouldn't have probably been out of L.A. County over here. <laughs> yeah, the states are small up here, you know. That. That's right. And I think it was I-95, and the part of New Hampshire was just so they could, uh, I guess, take advantage of the old days when no beers were sold on Sundays in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, it's the only time I mean, when I first started touring up there, it was the first time I saw a state liquor store with advertising on the freeway, you know. Now they also say lottery tickets, too, but... And I think Massachusetts changes the law, so you can get beer there now. I'm not really sure, but, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts before I moved to Maine. Well, that's what I was going to get at, because I wanted to know, Cap Neal, what what was your first fucking music memory, experience, that is in your head still? Uh, Well, I mean, going, going way back, my dad is a Dixieland musician. He's a clarinet player. Licorice Dick. Yeah, and I've been going to his gigs since I was born. You know, okay. He's been doing it. He did it, in, you know, in earnest for a very long time, and I grew up basically, you know, going to his gigs pretty much every weekend. And we're talking Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, he played in Massachusetts, and uh, we had a, we were lucky enough to have a small summer home up in Maine, which is how I wound up in Maine in the first place. Okay. And uh, so he played on the coast of Maine, and he played in Massachusetts, and you know, Newport, Rhode Island. And well, all fuck, he's probably also in the pad doing prac. Right? So yeah. You're hearing yeah. him practice this thing. Was he part of a band or did he have his own band? He ran the band. And, uh, okay. And all, the, all those guys, you know, they worked from their own version. Who was like that? Uh, Woody Herman? Uh, uh, Woody Herman's a little bit like that. But, Shaw? You know, like, Artie Shaw? Didn't, was he a licorice stick guy who ran his own band? Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. You know, and, it used uh, to be a I'm really, telling, it yeah. used to be a very popular instrument. It's trippy how it just got kicked to the curb. Yeah. Well, back in the 70s, they tried to, like, synthesize it. They came out with a synthesized clarinet that uh, a guy named Brad Terry, just outside of Boston, invented and played. Uh, and it sort of, it made its brief debut in sort of like the prog rock or the um, fusion rock, but it never really went anywhere. I remember a clarinet solo. I think it's in 21st Schizoid, man. Yeah. <laughs> 20th, Something century skits. It's kind of crimson, King Crimson song that busts into like this James Bond 007 thing with the fucking clarinet solo. Yeah, so. Before getting but, all heavy. But anyway, your first experience with music is your pop fucking making it. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, going okay. and seeing him play. And then when I was about six, um, you know, he wanted he, he wanted all of his kids. My, I have two brothers. And, okay. Uh, he wanted all of his kids to be musical. Oh, and great. So my, my older brother started playing drums. and I Did he uh, start or was it foisted? Like, did your pop pick? Like, I want you to be a drummer. I want you to be a Alabama sausage whistle. Nope, nope. <laughs> the misery stick is what we call it. <laughs> Although I played clarinet, you know. Oh, so you were in his footsteps, but you chose. I, I chose, but there was a there was a bargain, you know, to be made. I was like, I want a guitar, and I want an electric guitar. And he's like, that's fine, but you got to learn how to read music instead of jumping around like an ape. So I was like, all right. So I took proper lessons uh, on guitar, and I also took clarinet so I could play in the school band because that's what he wanted, you know. Right, and, right. So... My brother and I. Uh, yeah, now he did. He picked drums. He picked drums, and we already actually had a drum set because my dad had sort of like a rudimentary setup at the house, so that if someone had to get, you know, if he had a pickup guy coming to play in his band rather than um, one of his regular players, he could sort of run him through the set list and you know say, "Here's where the solos are." Sure, he are. could do prac and show him the shit. Yeah. Yeah. So now, same he, way we do, you know, they yeah, just run he, standards, you know. So he probably didn't want your brother playing rock and roll though. Oh, he was fine with it. He was, was okay? Why? Because he sat down and didn't jump around like a, <laughs> what, a bottomless snowman? <laughs> I, I think he probably just saw it as like a lost cause. You know, my dad was never really a jazz purist. He's more of a performer than, uh, if you ask him, and I just had breakfast with him this morning down in Massachusetts, he would say that uh, he's a performer more than a musician. Uh, you know, I disagree because he's, he's playing is excellent, but uh, he always considered himself to be sort of like the, the mouthpiece and the so to speak, of the band and the and the leader. You know, he put together the shows, he booked the shows, he paid the guys. He's a shot caller. Yeah. So here, let's listen to some music here.
Watch for Pedro Show. Let me tell you what you just heard after I told you what we first heard when the show started. It was John Colt doing, uh, doing I Want to Talk About You live November 26, 22nd, 1961. God, that November 22nd, whenever I read that. Um, and then Like Bricks. Um, by Is it Mercy Lago? Yeah, it's Mercy Lago. Okay, Mercy, like thank you, Lake? Uh, well, it's more like Murcielago. It's a Spanish word. Oh, okay, because Merci is kind of French, but I know Lago is lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Murcielago is basically, it's a Spanish word for bat, but it's a really long word for a short word in English. It's a kind of bat, huh? A type of Yeah. Bat. Okay. So this is a band that Captain Neil plays bass in, good people. And then when we just heard this next bunch of music, it was... Um, uh, Mercy Alago there, don't do nothing. And before that, Alice Bag, Women on Top, Roadblocks here and there, Toby Dan ahead of that, Tom and Tobacco with Streaker, featuring uh, Notre Bell, Iko Ishibashi, Mr. Cloud ahead of that. And we started with Nels Klein uh, song, Brother, Sister's Daughter. The first time he came and played. In Tokyo, he wrote this on the airplane flying over. It called Crystal Clear. I think he called it Diamond Queen. I actually got the fucking sheet music that he wrote on the plane of it. But uh, <laughs> we made this uh, first time he was over there, and go, Mr. Shimmy. We did this gig and made an album in, in two days. And uh, I mean, Nels Klein is incredible. He, this guy, uh, you don't have to do a lot of prac. You know, he's done so much improvising. So. Yeah. Back to the story. You and your brother, your your rhythm section, your drum and a guitar. Because pe people don't know this in the old days of like the licorice stick and swing bands, the guitar was not a solo instrument. It was in there with the rhythm section. Yeah, that's exactly right. Huh? That's exactly. Excuse right. me for puking. I think even the piano was. The piano, the bass, the guitar, the drums—they were all rhythm section. Yeah, you know, and the horns carried everything, although the, the piano usually had that upper register that would usually carry melody as well. You know? Yeah, kind of a pad, I think, though. I think part of the problem, or not the problem, the situation was, yeah, a lot of people dancing. That could make a fucking lot of noise. You didn't have a lot of electrical uh, public address systems, what we call the PA system. You, you, you literally had to pad it with fucking lungs. And brass, you know, they, it can do it. And the reed uh, saxophone thing. I read somewhere in 1939, there was 30,000 fucking touring bands doing swing. What? Yeah, the, 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 the competition was incredible. And these bands had to carry 12, 15 guys, you know? It was really, really tough. So maybe your pop had a easier go of it, but it's not like the good old days. I think there was a lot of cutthroat. It was pretty rough. So well, my dad, my dad did something yeah. interesting when he was younger, which was there was um, there was a jazz or a Dixieland sort of a chain restaurant that uh, had clubs everywhere. It was called Your Father's Mustache, and what they'd do is they'd hire a bunch of cats to basically be a house band, but you'd get a so you'd get uh, sent from place to place to place. So they're always changing the line. Rotate. But, and uh, all sorts of people went through there, either as waiters, performers, musicians, and stuff. You know, like. Chevy Chase, you know, worked there and all this stuff. And so my dad oh, so this is more recent. Time, you know, this is more recent than like seventies. 
No, that was like uh, late 50s. My dad got out of the Marines. Chevy Chase 50s. was in the late 50s? Well, he did it from like late 50s, uh, like 58, 59 up through 64 or something. Yeah, like but that. you mentioned Chevy Chase. Wasn't he a 70s guy? Yeah, he was on, uh, you know, he was on. He's terrible. Yeah, yeah of course. He basically <laughs> stole Jerry Lewis's thing, you fall down on pills or something. That <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get off the thing. You and your brother are, are starting to do music on you. What, are you listening to the records? Which one's older? Who brought the rock and roll records home? Uh, we both sort of got into it, although I remember buying, getting like for my sixth or seventh birthday, getting like a couple of records for my birthday and really being into it. I was a lot more into the music before my brother was. Okay. Um, and, uh, he had sort of taken up drums because they were there already, and we had an upright bass in the house, so I messed around with that some. And my dad also had a couple of amps that he used for PAs, and one of them was an old Vox uh, Super Beetle. So I, when I finally got an electric guitar, I plugged into that thing and had like a fuzz circuit, and that was it for me. I was like, I just want to do rock. You know, I learned You're the- serious lessons and learned all that stuff, but I really just wanted. I mean, to they rock. would they actually would tell you teach you rock and roll songs because I I think most established musicians. Didn't they hate that shit? Well, my guitar teacher back then was a guy named Paul Buchler, who was a really, really brilliant and interesting guy, and he was into everything. Like, oh, at so one point or another, open-minded, and, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, very much so. At one point or another, you know, he uh, he sat in with my late middle school, early high school band, and we played Twenty First Century Schizoid Man. That's all I mentioned. <laughs> you know, who did the fucking clarinet solo? Who did the fucking clarinet solo? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Your, de- what, your pop, did he come in for a guest appearance or what? Yeah, he came in. You know who was rocking? I'll tell you. The frip parts, you know. I'll tell you who's rocking the clarinet. I'll tell you who's rocking the clarinet. But bass clarinet was uh, Eric Dolphy. Yeah. So the clarinet yeah. didn't go out quietly because he was hard charger. He'd be right up there with Coltrane. Uh, so, Okay. You get this amplifier with the fuzz circuit. Are you, are you starting to write your own songs? Are you just doing the stuff your teacher's teaching you and you're copying records like me and D. Boone did? Or? The first time I can remember writing a song, I think it was in about sixth grade, and I'd started playing some guys, and uh, it was turning into sort of like a regular band, and we decided one day we were going to try to do something on our own. And so we came up, I think I came up with a chord change. We played it for like, you know, two hours straight, just like everyone does when they're that age, you know? And we got all fired up about it. And uh, what was it called? I think it was just called he or him or something like that. I don't really exactly remember. You know, after like a year or something like that, some yeah. guys were in the fold somewhere out. My older brother, you know, he's just he's less than a year older than me. He uh, he went off to school away. He went to prep school and I was still at home. So then we found a different drummer. OK. Uh, and that guy, actually, the guy who was the drummer for the band. And then he uh, he's out in L.A. and He works. He does. uh songwriting and producing for TV shows. He's he in the band on. now, but he lives in SoCal? <laughs> he's not in a band. He's oh, okay. like, a, he's a, okay. an arranger and a, and a composer for TV shows. Right. He was a, a, drama and a bunch of other stuff. Few, a few, he was a former member. Okay, I thought he was still in the fucking band. All right. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is pretty good. Hey, I know about bands like that. You know, they live in different towns. So, but this <laughs> is still... A lot of them. <laughs> this, is, yeah, this is still fucking high school, right? Yeah, yeah, so that okay. was high school. Yeah. So you're, you're doing gigs? Are you playing, like, keggers? Are you playing clubs? Or? We were playing um, we were playing keggers or school dances, and, like, you know, the, the the drama department at the school had these play competitions that would go on, and they'd always let us play between the plays, which was pretty awesome, because you had, 
like-minded people coming along, you know? What was the name of this band? Well, it originally was called, like, the the Seraphs or something like that, and then it became uh, this guitar player named Steve Lasco. was a really interesting dude. He joined, and we changed the name to Captain Steve and the Squids because he was a really uh, outgoing dude. Yeah, and then he convinced my neighbor to be the singer, and she was a she was a girl who was really introverted in Duxbury, where I grew up, and that was Juliana Hatfield. So that's uh, and she was the Captain she was Squid the singer and Captain Steve and the Squids. Yeah, okay, but she's not Captain Steve. She was not Captain Steve. She was the singer for Captain Steve. Okay. <laughs> was there a guy named Steve in the band? Yeah, Steve Lesko. Oh, he, but he ain't the guy who named it. I. I think we all just decided it was fine. You know, okay. We didn't have high okay. ambitions at the time. So. Very complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, okay, it's, okay. So, uh. Name a band that isn't, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. We had some silly names. <laughs> I remember one was the Running Sores. We wanted to make fun of the Rolling Stones, so we called it the Running Sores. <laughs> That's pretty good. And we did so, Jumping um, Jack Flashed. Yeah. Tequila Mockingbird. Seems like there was a lot of bands called Tequila Mockingbird. Fuck, so. there was a famous punk lady here in our scene named that. Yeah? It's her actual, yeah, that's her actual name. She, I wow. think she runs the punk museum now. But anyway, uh, how did this go? When, when, when high school was over, what happened? Well, I, I stopped before high school because I started going to school in Boston. And when I was in Boston, I started hanging around and playing with a lot of the people that lived down at the lofts down on Thayer Street, which, you know, was back in the, that was like 83, 84, or something like that. And so all the shows were going on at the channel. Oh, yeah, so that's where I saw the Minutemen play there. And, uh, that's where you know, we first placed in, um, first that's time we played in Massachusetts was there with Husker Du, Gang Green, and, uh, yeah, yeah. What was it called? They changed their name. They were Straw Dogs, the FUs. Yeah, the FUs, yeah. Actually, the bass player, Joe, lives here in Portland now from the okay. FUs. I saw him the other day. Yeah, Gangrene lasted one song. Budweiser took out uh, Dor- Mr. Doherty. Alcohol, whatever. Yeah. Well, he had a big, a big Budweiser one. banner behind him, and he kept hollering that, and uh, Budweiser won. He was down. Well, it was an interesting gig. Ah, so you were at that gig. I think uh, Roger Miller was, too. I remember talking to him. Who was? Roger Miller, the man who sang for... Uh, yeah, yeah. Not the King of the Road one. No, no. The yeah. Ann Arbor one. The one that actually... Uh, the Ashton brothers, they knew his parents. Really? Yeah, yeah. Roger, in fact, I've been playing some music. He may have, was part of a 21st schizoid band in uh, Ann Arbor. Trippy name, kind of prog. Uh, so, oh, so, so now you're involved with the whole kind of creative scene and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. you left the high school yeah. band behind. Okay, I understand. Yeah, I started messing around with stuff like that, and uh, you know, I had that. I had a great amp, and I had a couple of cool guitars. So I got played with a couple of bands that never really went anywhere. And then um, my buddy Dean moved up to go to school at uh, Berkeley. So you know, just after high school, he moved to. This is different Berkeley people. This is the Berkeley School of Music on the East Coast, not Cal Berkeley. That's right, exactly. University right, Berkeley of School of Music right. um, in Boston. You know, I first heard about that was. The Richard Hell and the Voidoid album. When you pulled it out on the sleeve, it had all these pictures, and there was an ID card from there for Bob Quine. Do you remember that? I took no, a picture of Richard Hell off of there too and put it on my base. That was like a line in the sand for me here, man. I got a lot of shit for doing that, but I can give a goddamn. <laughs> now, Captain Neil, 
We're at the end of the first hour here. Uh, Watt for Pedro Show edition. No, uh, March 7, no, March 14, 2015. Uh, we're going to be back with more of your musical journey. So everybody, please hold tight for hour two. March 14, 2015, it's the second hour of Watt from Pedro's show.
Music was the definition Music is the key to solution Music is the best invention When it goes la 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 la
You looked at 
Che, vení. ¿Por qué tenés esa cara? Me dijiste que Nelida te había hablado por teléfono y no te alegras. Sí, pero estoy inquieto lo mismo. No entiendo por qué no me dijo dónde estaba. Y bueno, ya va a aparecer. Estate tranquilo que debe estar en buenas manos. Anda, anda que ya tenés que entrar. ¿Así que te habló tu noviecita? Sí. Lástima que no te dijera dónde está, ¿no? Sedelt vin Som man bör njuta försiktigt För om man dricker det utan sans Förlorar det sin forna glans Och man får kvar en tom flaska Och bittra tårar och aska
the second hour, Mercio Lago, brand new album, The Last Line. Then we heard Seven Lerodics with Music Part One. <laughs> I always wanted to call a song that, you know, Music Part One. You know, you know History of the World, Part A. You know. Okay. Then the Dicks after that, the Police Force. Uh, War Warblers, Self Be True, they're a Massachusetts band. Uh, the other Mike, uh, brother of uh, Jay Mascus, yeah. Older brother who's a lawyer, but he likes doing music too. I didn't know that Jay had an older brother. Well, that's music. why I had you on the show to learn you all that. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay, no problem. Uh, King's a lower town out of Canada with that fells back under your spell. Uh, G.G. Allen, the Jabbers, Nuke Attack, live. I think he's out of New Hampshire, or was. Yeah, Peterborough. Yeah, yeah. What kind of town? I mean, you're closer there, to there than I am. It's tiny, right? Yeah, it's a tiny town, but it's near a bunch of mill towns. And uh, Hence the actually, culture. He's, he spent a lot of time in Portland. He and his brother both spent a lot of time. Merrill? Yeah, Mel, Mel still comes up here a lot. Okay. But, um, yeah, they had a lot of community here in Portland, especially when Gigi was first going. Um, okay, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's actually a Gigi's, when he had the Murder Junkies. Yeah, uh, with his brother. We're still talking about musical musical journeys here. Um, I started playing in a band when I moved up to Maine after, Bo you know, after Boston. Um, and uh, it was called Twisted Roots. You and I talked about the first time. Yeah, it's Paul Rossler. Right? Kay's brother, um, right. He, he sent you a letter or had a lawyer send you a letter. Yeah. And actually, you thought he was a big, tough dude. 
I, didn't I know told Raul that and he started laughing. Get I told uh, my uh, missing man drummer Raul. I told him that because he played with Paul in the second string second man, and he was laughing when I told him that. <laughs> so what you do with uh, how were you connected with uh, Gigi here? Well, the band I joined, Twisted Roots, uh, yeah. had two brothers in it. One was Phil Giordano, and one was Pete Giordano. And Phil had been. Gigi what about Lou Giordano? Is he a brother? There, no, no. there was a Lou Giordano that worked with, uh, what were they called, Proletariat or something? They, yeah, they, they the helped us out when we played with Husker Du. He was an engineer man, Lou Giordano. Yeah, yeah, he, he worked at uh, one of the studios in town, too. Quite so a, they just had similar la- just similar last names. Yeah. Okay. No, so I don't know if Pete and Phil are, are uh, to related to him, actually. But um, So P- Pete and Phil started this band that I joined, and Phil was Gigi's drummer. Oh, okay. Played with him, you know, for years. And then He's one of the murder junkies or one of the jabbers? One of the murder junkies, yeah. Okay. Filthy Phil. And then uh, he died young. He died before Gigi, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so then we hired a different drummer, but that was the connection there, because he was, he was <laughs> well, really you uh, raw, man. Didn't they, didn't they fucking, um, I think Gigi, they partied with him for like a week or so after... Like fucking Jim Beam bottle in his arm and Mota Leno in his fucking mouth. I've seen I pictures know. or videos of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's some more bands that we heard. Film Noir, Don um, Larbra and Lee Samage, Proverbial Eleven, uh, Beso Salsol from El uh, Grupo de Gaston, uh, Grimishom uh, Morgonen, Fre- Frederick Kimboon. Of course, this, this stuff from Europe. Uh, Monkey Face, Death of Samantha, Samantha, that's a John Pekovich out of Cleveland. On clarinet, by the way. <laughs> and uh, na- uh, Natural by uh, Tenguido. Or na- Natural, I think you should pronounce it that way. Uh, so, okay, you, you go uh, uh, up to Maine and part of the Portland scene. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're part of this band, Twisted Roots. People, there was a Hollywood band with the same name. It was Paul, uh, Kay's brother, really, with people like Pat Smear and Maggie and Michelle and Kay a few times. Uh, what happens? Uh, how long does this go on? Uh, well, I played with them from like 1990 to about 94 or something like that. And that was sort of like when uh, it was pretty easy to get someone to put some money behind you. You know, um, so we signed to a label. We made a record ourselves, and then we signed to a label in Boston that was called Cherry Disc that had good distribution. There's a lot of good bands in Boston that were on Cherry Disc. Um, so we were we started focusing a lot more down there, and when we played in Portland, we did quite well. But that was a band that we actually spent a lot of time in the van driving around and doing, you know, all the stuff that you do, getting in the getting the van, driving to some, you know, three people in Florida and all that stuff. No, but New England, I mean, there's a lot of fucking gigs. It's different than getting in a van where I live. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, there's a lot of gigs. San Francisco's 400 miles. Phoenix is 400 miles. I mean, San Diego's only 120, but we got some hell rides out here. In <laughs> fact, me and D. Boone used to always talk about being a New England band, you know? But then we inconveniently forgot about winter. <laughs> yeah. And well, summer. Remind you. you know? <laughs> okay, here. Let's hear some... Um, uh, uh, more Murcielago because I know we're going to get up to that part of the story.
Way Too Far, Murcielago, uh, Germanata Youth with Prelude, El Dorado Explored Expedition, uh, the Water Boogie System. They're out of Italy, believe it or not, even with that name. Roma. And uh, Galina Tubax, they're out of Bologna, Italy. Sex Stains, period, period. Uh, that's a lady from Bratmobile. I was at the pop group gig a few nights ago, and she just handed me that. She had a band with uh, Chris at Mobile, Honeytooth. Uh, OCs with Carrie and Crawler, they're back together, a new album. I think they were broke up for a whole month. Uh, uh, Chronics from uh, Ravenna, Italy, with Go On. And finally, uh, Murcielago with Chiba Hawk. So now, Schooly D called Mota Chiba. What's Chiba got mean to you people in uh, Portland, Maine? Well, Chiba Hawk is sort of like a nickname for a stoner girl. Well, Chiba is Mota. Okay, it is a scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what happens here after the cherry, uh, uh, twisted the roots, cherry discs? Yeah. Uh, I left that band and joined another band that was a trio, which is my favorite format. And uh, I played, you know, it was me on bass. I've been playing bass, you know, at that at that point for quite a while. And um, oh, so you lost the guitar? Yeah, yeah. I started playing bass, you know, when I was still in Boston. Really, I just, you know, well, you had a, uh, people are like, I, you know, well, you told me, uh, you, you know, that's how you told me your fa- father had a stand up. Yep. Okay, so you were playing before you even did the traditional thing was like, I'm a guitar player, but no one wants to rock the bass, so I guess I will. It was both those things. <laughs> it was both those things. You know, I actually meet kids today, it's the first instrument they play, and it ain't because of the school band. They just want to rock the bass. Yeah. That was way different in my days. <laughs> yeah, totally. I found out yeah. bass was where you, you put the retarded friend, it was the right field in Little League where no one hit the ball. But, uh, hey, you want a good yeah. crop, you know, a farmer would tell you, use a lot of manure. So you started, did you use that fucking, what was your first electric bass guitar? It was a K. It was a K, K bass. Same was, with uh, me. Same with me. It looked it like an EB3. Mine was terrible. It was like oh, one really? of them, yeah, it was like William Tell bow and arrow rock. You could put your whole head in between the strings and the fretboard. I guess it was good for building up my muscles. But, uh, <laughs> I was pretty good at fixing them when I was younger. You know, I, I always was interested in sort of the mechanics of it. So. Oh, yeah, I took a fucking sandpaper and put it on a drill bit. And then, you know, to get rid of their ugly black and yellow. So this thing was, you know, no more black and yellow paint, but the divots all over from, you know, <laughs> this motherfucker. I guess... Uh, yeah, I added some switches to. I don't know this terrible bass, and uh, but like I said, the big action did help build. I used to be crying. <laughs> but uh, did you use it through that Super Beetle? Yeah, yeah, I used it through the Super okay. Beetle, and then I got a Marshall Major, a big two hundred watt Marshall sure. bass head sure. man. Thing hey, we're awesome. at the end of the second hour, March fourteenth, two thousand fifteen edition Watt for Pedro show. Happy Pi Day! Here with Cap Neil. Hold tight for hour three. Made a lot of noise. 
just as high as you can see. No matter how you try, he cannot break free. And the wolves are into his
Osječkom kafiću, prvo poznatom. third hour people with some more Murcielago, Zoroff, the new album, then we had Bashu doing Hey You Live, Basho, I'm sorry, and then another Hey You, you know you can't copyright a song title. That's good. Yeah. La Colonia Volvox, what's your opinion about uh, these two people uh, convicted of stealing Marvin Gaye's song? I don't really have an opinion. Um, seems like a lot of music is referential. Um, you know, when Led Zeppelin was getting tanged for taking all the Willie Dixon songs, that made more sense to me than what's going on with that, I think. I, I'm not really sure, you know? Yeah. I don't pay attention much to the, you know, to people like Robin Thicke in the first place, so I don't really know what, what the hell it sounds like. So. Yeah, Farrell claims he was told it was original, <laughs> but he grew up with Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Like you said, it's all referential. So he grew up with Marvin Gaye, so so yeah, did I. Easy, I did you know? too, and maybe I've lifted some of that shit. That's why I try to get inspired off painters and writers. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a little yeah, it's a little safer when it comes to kiping. Yeah, that's what Captain Beefheart always did too. He said he was he was uh, making sound out of his out of his art. You know. Oh wow! Yeah, well, he ended up with brushes taped to his hands. Though yeah. you can tell there was a little bit of how him. Wolf influence on him. Dippers oh, yeah. with Dippers, uh, Creatures of the Night, Richard Haxton, Mean Town Blues, the Atomic Sherpas. That's got the drummer from uh, a pair of pliers, Vince Maroney, and finally, Why Stalka Saw Alive. They're out of uh, Croatia. Um, so you make another power trio. What do you call this power trio after Twisted Roots? Actually, that band was less of a power trio. It was more uh, a couple of the guys. The other two guys in the band were really influenced by um, uh, 
uh, what's they called, um, Wilco and um, Uncle Tupelo before that, you know. They, Uncle that Tupelo joined, was a trio. They were a trio. Yeah, they were. They were a trio. Uh, yeah, I played yeah. a gig with them. I think East St. Louis or something. They were kind of like meat puppets. Yeah, they were very much like that, yeah. And that, that band that I was in, Lincolnville, actually wound up being a lot more like that than sort of the power, like, 70s rock trio or like the blue cheer type trio you know there was a there was more of a there was more strumming going on and uh the guitar player in that band was a guy named colin decker and he actually wound up re uh mastering all the dinosaur junior stuff he were he was a mastering engineer he did all that stuff when they re-engineered you're living all over me and bug a couple years back that's why the gig up in new hampshire and the sound man actually was the dude who recorded you're living all over me really yeah Keene, what's it, is it called Keene? There's a school. Yeah, Keene, Keene State College, yeah. Okay. Ain't that a trip. Okay, so they're called Lincolnville. Yeah, we're in Lincolnville, and we're playing around. Um, you know, we also did some touring. But we went out with um, Bill Janovitz, who was in the band Buffalo Tom, you know, and did South by Southwest and all that stuff that he did back then in the late 90s to try to get something going on. Got our own record label, you know, got money from another label, and bought recording gear with it instead of making a demo. So we made our own recording setup. And that band was really fun because it was all self-powered, you know. So like the first sure. time, you know, we had control of everything. We got, it was just the three of us. So musical decisions were easy. And I think that we all three of us progressed as musicians a lot working in that relationship. All right. And so. But it that, had to that, crumble because how did, it had to crumble because how did Mercy Lago come about? It crumbled because one day we just, uh, Colin had started working in this mastering studio in Boston, and me and the drummer Ryan were still up here in Maine. And one day, he's like, "Man, this is a lot of work. I don't know how long I can do it for." And so we we're just like, "Well, let's just stop now. We're doing pretty good." And they were like, "So that was that, just like that." Okay. <laughs> very, very consensual. <laughs> let's hear some music.
Diamond on your chakra The shape It's teeth to bend to fight The shape One red eye stares right at you The shape Two red lips do So we- 
Watford Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Started with Patrick Butler doing chord club. Patrick Butler of Unstoppable. Nels Klein can tell you about him. He was in a band called Block. They both would share bills at the club. Lingerie in Hollywood. I saw a line in front of that pad. I saw a metal detector. It was up there last week. At the Whiskey, I hadn't played there in a fucking buttload of time. Uh, and then, uh, uh, a praise break. They're out of Charleston, I think. Charlie Town. The Shape, the Slow Poisoner. Mysterious band. Plutonium Farmers, You Only Need One Pearl. Leash, Baby Island, and finally, Bulldozer by Murcielago. Now, we're going to hear the story of how Murcielago came about straight from Captain Neal's own thoughts. Here we go. All right. So, Murcielago came about where uh, I had been on a sailing trip with my family. We, you know, we had a boat. We took a sailing trip to South America and back on it. Same boat that we got to sail on. That's right. Zora, just like the song. And uh, so when I got back from that trip, I had been out of, you know, I'd been away for two and a half years and I hadn't really played much except for acoustic. And when I came back, I uh, wanted to. What do you mean, acoustic on the boat? Yeah, I brought yeah. an acoustic guitar with me. You know, so you wind up playing a lot of Bob Marley or Desmond Decker for people on the beach when you do something like that. Um, okay. So uh, I came back and uh, I knew that I wanted to get into a band where I was sort of. Uh, Sort of calling the shots. Said, rudder hey, man. The rudder man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I hooked up with a friend who was a, he's a great rockabilly guitarist, Matt Robbins, but he always wanted to play louder rock. And my heart's really in the late 60s, early 70s rock. And uh, <clears throat> so we got going and I actually started playing guitar in Mercy Lago and we hired a friend of mine, uh, Nick Lombardo, to play bass. And he brought a drummer with him. So we got together and we started, you know, we wrote a bunch of songs right off the bat, did some shows. Then after about a year, we made a record. And uh, friends of mine in Boston had a record label and they wanted to put it out. So we delivered them our unmixed record and they were going to mix it. And then they said uh, that they'd rather have us re-record it at their studio because they had a very nice studio there. And that was Mad Oak Studios where, uh, where we wound up re-recording the record. Um, so in between... Uh, re-recording and uh, that and the time before that Nick on bass was so discouraged by having to re-record the record that he got really unhappy so I wound up asking him to leave and I went I went back to bass which was great because I always wanted to put that sort of movement into the music and we hired a good buddy of ours Nick I'm sorry uh, Ian Ross to come over on guitar and Ian had played in the sort of the stoner band Roadsaw for a long time. He also played in Nebula, which is a Los Angeles band. Really? Not San yeah. Diego? That's okay. got the San Diego, I think, Eddie, right? Or maybe they're from out in the desert. Yeah, I think they're from like... Uh, some of them are. Somewhere west of the city, yeah, Eddie Glass, yeah. When, you know, yeah, right, players. I got to play some bills with them. Good band. Yeah, great band. So uh, some kind of connection yeah. with the, the Queens and that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much What's, so. What's it called? Caius. Caius. Yeah, Caius. And all that stuff. Yeah, because Rhodes had been around sort of in Boston making that kind of music back when Caius and Fu Manchu and... Yeah, that's the other one. Right. And Eddie you know, like sort of started touring across the country and they do tours together. And that's how Ian got sort of ingratiated there. Okay. And and so uh, Ian came on guitar and uh, that's when the lineup sort of really started working. Let me focus on singing some more and really dig in on bass and that's sort of where the sound of the band comes from, you know, and put the record out. And uh, 
I had a lot of fun with it. You know? I heard you had a great record release gig. So you're planning on making a second record down the road. Yeah, yeah, actually, we're going to start on it in July. So, man, we're talking like 30 years of playing at least. Yeah, I think my first uh, first gig was at the Rat in Boston, 1984. Okay. Like so what kind of advice would you give somebody getting into this racket? Uh, go in with your eyes open and no goals and just make sure you have fun with the people you're working with, I'd say, you know? How about you? What would that's, you say? That, that's what 30 years has t- taught you. Yeah. Uh, well, man, people hear about my windbag ideas all the time, so that's why, <laughs> that's why I'm always asking my guests because, you know, everybody's got a different perspective. So you say, don't put expectations, but try hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Don't be informed by, like, bullshit things, like listening to your own uh, heart or whatever, your own... Uh, yeah, don't don't dress like every other band around you just because they're dressing like that, I guess would be a simpler way to put it. That's, I think, a, that's a mistake a lot of younger bands make or a lot of younger musicians make because they oh, try to gain pressure. identity by fashion rather than by sound, you know? Would you say there's some kind of peer pressure? So, so fight against peer pressure? I would say that if you can work outside of it which takes more confidence than probably younger musicians have uh, then you're going to be happier sooner you know what's trippy though a group of people they can actually help motivate people to get involved well, I, I know it happened right and I think uh, Mr. Kerak helped Mr. Uh, Burroughs get in I think he even named that book yeah so sometimes the crowd can actually help but you're saying don't let it like start being the shot caller and the aesthetic and yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I've, I've often used uh, the Minutemen as an example of how how sort of different you guys were from a lot of the bands you were playing with at the time, you know? Like, especially when you got to Boston. Boston had... Yeah, but we thought that was the point. Yeah, but that was the... We thought was the point of the movement. And actually, Boston did have a lot of variety, but you're like... Oh, oh, oh. There was that one-dimension problem all over the place. But yeah, there, yeah. there was some... There, there was some... There was, I, I definitely got to say, uh, good, uh, do, what do you call it, donations came from your area. They did? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking from an outsider, there, there, there's some bands there. I remember you didn't mention one band, but uh, sorry, I like them. And then Peter's uh, Volcano Sons. Oh, Volcano, Volcano Sons were great, man. Yeah, actually. yeah. And they so were, there, there was some the trippy course, bands. Man. There, were, there was some uh, trippy kind of stuff, and there still is. But I like your advice, and I'm very, very grateful for you coming on the show here. I got three more Mercio Lago shows I'll play next week, songs, I mean, and I really keep on keeping on. I can't wait to get back and get back on your boat. Uh, thank you so much for being part of the show. It was my pleasure, Michael. It was really nice to talk to you again. Okay. Everybody, it's been March 14, 2015 edition of Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.